Hi, this is Louis Canio. Welcome to the Doctor and Dad podcast. This fast-paced weekly podcast delves into the latest scientific findings on how we can all live longer and better lives. I'm the dad, and my daughter, Nicole, is a family medicine doc who trained at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. We hope you enjoy this short, informative show, and please be sure to visit thedoctorandad.com. Uh, and by the way, the doctor is abbreviated in that. So it's T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for the show notes um, and other resources to help you learn about extending your health span. Within the notes, you'll find links to a bunch of stuff we discussed. So be sure to check it out. And thanks for listening. Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So this is a unique podcast, this is episode 14, uh, and it's unique because we are, for the first time, both in the same location. Yes, Does, doesn't happen too often. <laughs> no, I wish it happened more often, actually. Uh, so I'm in at your house in Omaha, Nebraska, your beautiful house in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes. Happy to be here for Father's Day weekend. Looking, looking forward to getting a lot of uh, you know, special Father's Day treatment. So, yes. Actually, we're going to play golf today, so that's... Special Father's Day. That is special, exactly. And College World Series. Oh, that's right. Uh, I've never been, so looking forward to that as well. Hopefully the weather will cooperate oh, yeah. for both golf and baseball. So today we're talking about uh, this notion of tailored nutrition. And, uh, you know, we, we really look to organizations like uh, Food and Drug Administration and other sources to guide us on uh, what uh, we should eat to be healthy. Um, but we also know to some extent that people respond differently to different foods. Some people can... Uh, well, number one, eat just a huge quantity of foods, never gain weight. It looks like their metabolism is just off the charts. And then others um, can uh, exist on a, you know, either a bunch of carbs or a bunch of fats, whereas others you know, can't tolerate it. And obviously you have these other situations where you have food allergies um, or you, you're gluten intolerant or whatever. So it really becomes, um, you know, kind of constraining to some extent. So first of all, I wonder the extent to which you discuss with your patients their, you know, their, their variability in their responses to different foods. Um, not much because it's hard to, you don't know someone's specific responses to different types of food. So while it's true that we, we know that you know, part of obesity isn't just that one person is, you know, taking in three times as many calories as the next person, um, but they could be taking in very similar calories and processing them differently. Um, so it's, it's complex. And then the person who, like we know, dietary fats affect people differently. Sometimes it will affect your actual cholesterol levels and sometimes your dietary fats don't have any impact on your cholesterol levels. But to know who is who, you don't, I don't know when right. I see them. So to avoid telling someone, no, you can eat whatever, you know, dietary fats you want, you stick with the general safe 
recommendation of avoid saturated fats and, and fats that are bad for you. Um, so if there was an easy way to know, like, oh, you don't tolerate glucose as well as the average person, or you don't tolerate fats as well as the average person, then, then that would be a great way to individualize someone's recommendations for their diet. But we don't know who right. who. And this is, this is where, this is both the promise and the challenge of this thing called personalized medicine. It's coming, yeah. But it's certainly not here yet. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great to have a, you know, comprehensive lab that just said, "This is you, and this is what you should do for exercise and and diet and that sort of thing." Um, but for now, we kind of stick with what's generally good for everyone. Yeah. So the, the the study that I saw that prompted this uh, this this episode, or the, the idea for this episode, is a new uh, nutrition research project uh, and it's interesting because it came out of this long relatively long-running uh, study in the united kingdom on identical twins and uh, this guy tim Spector, he's a professor at king's college is has been leading this uh, this this study generally and and has been increasingly intrigued by people's different responses to nutrition and, and, and other things and, and how that relates to disease or obesity, what have you. Um, he's also um, the founder of a, of a uh, company called Zoe Global, who's participated in this study, has funded some of this study. So um, there's, you know, we always talk about, okay, you gotta, you, with these scientific studies, you always gotta look at where the funding comes from to determine if there are at least implicit yes. biases. A lot of times there are, um, and a lot of times that's fine because it's still good data, but then you do have to kind of be, be careful. Wary. Yes. And, and the, but the reality is if you didn't have industry funding of right. scientific studies, you'd have a lot fewer right. scientific studies. So it's a, call it a necessary evil. It does, uh, it does help, I think, that Mass General Hospital was involved. Yeah, and, in and Harvard. And Harvard. So. And um, this isn't just a... Um, epidemiological study this is actually a in the lab you know somewhat controlled pretty well controlled trial um that gives off good data and i really am i like identical twin studies because it's so interesting and i think that's where you're able to see um differences in nature versus nurture because fraternal twins don't have any more similar genetic makeup to each other than regular brothers siblings. and yeah. sisters they just happen to be born at the same time um but identical twins are actual clones genetic clones of each other which so is the same exact exact genes. same exact genes so they're not common twins in general aren't super common but identical twins are less common um, but they are genetic clones of each other which is fascinating right to me it's a nice lab and then when you so. see something that's different between them then you can't say it's because of genetic reasons. You know, if you do a study and you have identical twins, um, so then you're able to kind of try to figure out what's the environmental push that makes things different. So there's overall a good designed, well-designed study. So there were a, a thousand um, 
participants from the UK, 100 US adults, all the twins came from that UK study. They were studied for two weeks, like really intensively, you, you, you noted that. Um, and so they were, they were, um, they were, they were monitored um, continuously for uh, their blood sugar, uh, so their glucose monitoring. So talk about that, that, how that monitoring takes place, as opposed to pricking your finger and doing that glucose test that, uh, that you can do just periodically. I mean, the people who have continuous glucose monitors are generally just going to be your type 1 diabetics, and it's usually um, joined with an insulin pump. So you, it's kind of like a patch or a little sub-Q sensor, and it will continuously measure your glucose while also administering your insulin if that's what you're using it for. It Otherwise, there's not, um, there's not a lot of indication for the average person to have a continuous glucose monitor, but it will give you a lot of information as to what your glucose and insulin does. And there are people who are not diabetic who wear continuous glucose monitors because they're interested in their bodies, their individual body's yeah, response. You too, want it so. and you want to pay for it um, and use it. You can certainly, certainly get it. I checked um, into it. it it's it, pricey, It's right? like, uh, I want to say on average about $10 per day because you have to replace yeah. those, yep. those because there, it does, there's a like little small needle that goes oh, underneath yeah. the skin. It's checking your blood sugar, so you gotta get yeah. to the blood. But eventually, they, at least in theory, they'll have ones that are non-invasive, like that Apple Watch will be able to sense. That That would be very cool. Yes, that would be very <laughs> cool. Right. So they, they, they monitored blood sugar, insulin levels, which I've heard that insulin is really difficult to monitor. So it, it, obviously, this, you've gotta be almost in a lab-type environment. Yeah, to measure your insulin. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you have to get a blood draw, yeah. measure your insulin, and it it only matters if you if you're correlating it with glucose and when your last food, you know, intake, intake was, was like yeah. to, to gather information from it. So you do have to kind of keep track of a lot of stuff. So they also did triglycerides and other blood markers. So these people were getting blood drawn every single day. Yep. Um, so. Um, and so what was, uh, you know, at a high level, uh, the results um, showed that there's a huge variation in those markers that we just talked about to the same meals, um, whether they contain carbs or fat, and then a, uh, a variation even between those identical twins and non-identical twins, or identical twins identical, in, in their responses. Right. So people are eating the same thing but have a huge difference in you know how their body's consuming and using the glucose and insulin so what are the other factors is the is the question, is the question. and and before we go there and tells you that that there's variability so someone can handle glucose better than the next person yeah um, huge variability yeah. like there's and we'll link to this in the show notes there's a uh, there's a presentation that the uh, that was recently done at um, I want to say the uh, it was a it, it was a scientific meeting. Uh, so this this study is kind of brand new, kind of hitting the uh, hitting the streets. And and so the uh, the the PowerPoint presentation is is linked in our show notes. But looking at um, the slide in particular that was showing 
the variability, they plotted it out. You know, they, they, essentially each, each one of the lines on the plot was an individual person. So the, the darker, more concentrated, the, the colors were on the chart, you could see. And they, and they showed the, me, the, the median and the mean um, in it. But there are people that are like way off right. of way mean. off. <laughs> there are some people who, whose insulin is, spikes way higher and stays higher. Um, By the way, I noticed, I think these, and we're looking at, for the listeners, we're looking at the actual charts in the presentation now. Yes. I think they, they mixed up the, the, uh, the, the titles on these because this one has glucose here, but it says insulin there. That one says insulin, but it says glucose there. Yeah, that's interesting and, and makes <laughs> it a little less questionable. Less but I think the one in the, in, in the middle, and again, yeah. apologize for the listeners, you can't see this, is actually glucose because you would think insulin would t from a time perspective would trail glucose spike correct on it yes, glucose meal. would be would yeah. be spiking first so obviously they, they what they did was give these people um, these set meals and then they watched their triglyceride glucose and insulin levels just post what they call it postprandial so after you eat right and why this matters again and why we care is because the prolonged peaks in your glucose and insulin after you eat will then cause peaks in your insulin which cause stress and inflammation and cell dysfunction and all this stuff is what leads to cardiovascular disease diabetes fatty liver disease all that kind of stuff so that's why this is why this matters in, in general you want less of a dramatic response to those macronutrients yep, is, wanna, is a better yep, scenario. Keep your markers low after you eat glucose and insulin. Yeah. And again, that's where the that's where the rub comes in with this thing for the average person is, okay, outside of being a study participant, and, and by the way, I, uh, full disclosure here, I, I, I signed up for phase two of this study, um, which I think is gonna, going to be similar. It sounded similar, so pretty intensive, but uh, because I'm curious, uh, you know, one of the benefits, while it, it is probably um, a, a, a bit of a pain to be involved in the study because you've got to you know, eat certain things, get pricked all the time, and but all that monitoring. this would be how you'd find out how you tolerate what, what you you're are. eating. Right, um, because what they're saying is you you can't find it out. We can't uh, we can't say okay if someone just by a, a genetic test. So what I think what they said is so genetic factors account for less than fifty percent of the variability for glucose uh, uh, reaction and less than thirty percent for insulin reaction, less than twenty percent for the fat the triglyceride reaction. Right, and then also showing that there's huge variability between the identical twins um, tells you that same thing, that it's not, genes will play a role, but only to some degree in the way that they were able to kind of start to decipher how much of an impact does each thing have. You'd think too that the type of glucose, carb, sugar, whatever that you're eating would have the biggest impact or some of the biggest impacts, what I would assume. Um, and they're finding that it's the type, like what you're, what you're actually eating, whether it's a bowl of ice cream or a high fiber piece of bread, um, only plays a, a small role. That is fascinating. Right. 
That's and that so that's then, just so counterintuitive. And the question is what what else is what happening? else? And they don't they don't know. They speculate that it's timing of your meals, um, sleep, your exercise, and um, and your gut biome. Right, and then they talk a lot about the gut biome again. Back to the gut biome. What, which the, what, one interesting little tidbit from that is within identical twins, only about a third of their gut biome is similar. And then it's right. after that's all different. So that that is is telling you clearly that um, that it's your gut biome is a nurture, not nature. Right, and that's what we were learning that your gut biome is impacted a lot by all sorts of different things. I think like in infancy, early exposure to antibiotics, though they might be necessary, can change. Um, and then as you get older, certain types of foods are better or worse for your gut biome. So that does seem to be more of a, um, a nature impact. Right. And now it's, and now we're showing that maybe the gut biome is what is impacting how you process the different types of foods that you eat. Yep. So it, it really becomes very, uh, a very broad kind of approach to this, um, you know, obviously you're, hopefully you're e eating to, uh, you know, for your health, let's say. Right. But the interrelationships between like your exercise patterns and, and eating, right. your sleeping patterns and eating, your gut biome and what you eat, mm -hmm. your, all of these things kind of interact in a very complex way. I guess it puts an exclamation point on how amazing the human body is right. and, and why in this day and age of scientific discovery, um, it, the human body still is this, um, I won't say unfathomable, unfathomable, I can't even pronounce it, uh, really, really uh, <laughs> large mystery, right. so to speak. Um, that we still don't understand all of this. Well, and this, you know, at first you think when you re start to dig into this study, you think maybe um, what it's going to come down to is everybody is, is individualized and in how they process everything and you need to get a specialized test to figure out how you process the different foods that you eat. But I, from the conclusions, it seems more like what they are gonna find is that all these other impacts collectively in anybody are what keep your glucose slow, insulin low, you know, meaning timing of your meals and exercise and maybe some more about the type of foods that you eat. Um, because this is just showing that genetics is playing a small, much smaller role than we think. So yeah. instead well, of... Which is empowering. Right. To some extent. Yeah, yeah. Genetics, we, we can't do anything to, to change that. Well, <laughs> even there. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yet. Not with, now. With, with CRISPR technologies and whatever, we, that, even that is, uh, it may be, may be modifiable uh, going down the road. Well, and the idea that metabolism, your metabolism is fixed. So many people will say to me, um, I just have a slow metabolism. And oh, and other people, the other <laughs> phrase that I like um, is I, you know, when it comes to like BMI, which I don't love BMI because literally it's just a factor of your height and your weight. And, when done that way, I mean, yeah. you can do it the, the, the really it, scientific way or at more, much more accurate way. You got to 
set yourself right. in a in a tank of water. Right. But the the regular old what's your BMI is is your height and your weight and um, there's a lot of other factors of your body composition that goes into it. But people will say I'm big boned, so being <laughs> big boned and having a small metabolism. Um, and it's but it's you know there it's probably you know just the the patients or the individuals way of of justifying why it's they struggle yeah you know and maybe they yeah. eat the same so many times i hear like you know i eat the same as my husband or the, my diets you know and i do i don't think that a lot of people are are just lying um i think that these individual variations are what make it difficult for each person yeah. but what this is kind of saying is maybe your metabolism is not a set thing it's not fixed and you can tailor your diet to help promote a better metabolism and maybe tailor diets towards your gut bacteria or yeah. meal timing if we find that the meal timing is what makes a big difference. And Right. We, and we talked about these. I mean, it's, it's interesting how these concepts interweave. We talked about in, the past, you know, in our sleep episode uh, about its surprising effect on metabolism. We yep. talked about... Um, a little bit about the gut biome piece. We've talked about obviously exercise. Part of this falls under the umbrella. I've heard this term before, food partitioning, um, which I think means, the, the, and this is the, your, the way your body partitions what you eat. In other words, does it go into, does what you eat go into fat storage? Does it go into uh, you know, readily available energy, so glycogen um, in the muscles, uh, or does it go into the, the, right. the liver for, you know, and get processed into? And, and people's food partitioning, for someone who's overweight, their food partitioning is very different than mm -hmm. from a, for a, a lean person. But to your point, it's not something that can't be changed. Right, or at least not completely fixed fixed <laughs> some of it's exactly. fixed probably fixed but but yeah a lot of so like so it's a good interesting study but it leaves you with well so then then what then what <laughs> and i think that's what maybe the yeah. second part of their their study will try to well try plus they there this we talked about the one of the sponsors of this our funders of the study was zoe Zoe Glow, I think it's I think it's Zoe, not Zoe, yeah. but it could be Zoe. Uh, it's it's Z O E. Yeah. At any rate, and again, we'll we'll link uh, to their website as well. But they are developing right. an application, an app that, in theory, will provide you with an individual nutri individualized nutrition plan based right. on what is is TBD. Yeah. One of the very interesting things about this is that. Um, so we talked about all the, the factors that go into the analysis of, 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 you know, kind of trying to figure out, okay, what is accounting for the individualized response, metabolic responses to these, these foods and, and all these, the variability within those responses. So that sort of analysis cries out for artificial intelligence, machine learning, right. that, which, which, you know, now we have the capability of doing. And I think I want to say that so so they're using that machine learning ultimately that machine learning is going to have to be the backbone of their of their commercial application right, right. but i think what they've said is that they that through this um phase one that machine learning has already um 
has already been able to correlate yeah. to 73% of the glucose responses. Now, there's right. other responses, insulin and, and, and fat responses. Right. So it's not 100% indicative, but... But it is, is at least... Three quarters of the pretty, way there. Pretty accurate, at least to give you some information um, about how you... Yeah. And certainly it, it is, so that what, what they're saying here is the, you know, if, if the macronutrient piece of it only explains, you know, call it on average 25% mm-hmm. and the machine learning can put all the other data together and explain 75%, right. that means that you know what to it's eat three quarters and... more, you know, or, or three times more likely right. to be uh, a, a true indicator of how you will respond. To. Yeah, that'll it will be really interesting to see what they do with it. That's nuts. That's nuts. Well, um, you know, again, yes, we'll see if I get uh, selected for for phase two. I'll be very disappointed <laughs> if I if I don't. But you know, uh, we'll that's have a to lot of work. Do you get compensated? I don't think so. No, you just get to be a. You, you get the. You get the input. knowledge of what your body's doing. Yes, because yeah. because I can't things. afford a continuous glucose monitor <laughs> and I, I can't afford, you know, that going to some lab and, and getting all these tests, on, you know, if right. I had to pay for it. So yeah, no, it's, it's neat. I'll take the uh, the side benefit. So bottom line, we always like to, to, to conclude these with some practical advice. So it, it really is stick with, with nutritional first principles that we've talked about in, in prior podcasts. So those, those are... Yeah, I mean, eat eat your whole foods. Eat fruits and vegetables. Cook your meals at home. Avoid processed foods. That's those recommendations are always going to be healthy and never gonna never gonna hurt you. And will probably still be what you should do. Form the backbone, right. regardless. And then this will inform. Yeah. Um, and then you know we've talked about actually I think our last podcast might have been on fasting. So intermittent fast. If you're if your goal is if you're struggling with weight management. Mm-hmm. Probably no better strategy than intermittent fasting, or you, you have a, bit, a different term because fasting could be a, a scary word. Yeah, time restricted eating is what I like to yeah. call it. I um, never, I never can remember that, that <laughs> phrase. And that's, but that's you know, we don't have a hundred percent you know data on how great or great for you or or not so great for you the intermittent fasting is. Yeah. But it, that's still an evolving body of. But essentially, study. right for weight management, it's caloric restriction, and it is at least just as good as restricting your calories, twenty four hours throughout a twenty four hour span. So this is just an easier way to instead of let's decrease your calories all day throughout the day, just time restrict right. your well, I, eating. I found it to be much easier because. If you're restricting throughout the day, you always have this idea of I'm being deprived. Need, right, right. So, whereas if I'm just missing breakfast, I'm I'm deprived from, you know, six a.m. to noon. Let's but say you and can then, eat your normal kind ex- of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So, so there's all the stuff that's always been recommended or probably been recommended to you: sleep, exercise, eat whole foods, cook your meals at home, avoid fried food, fast foods, processed junk. It's still gonna likely hold true but the other piece is oh you're going to say something no i just this this kind of data and this type of these types of studies and information are just going to add to how to optimize your life when the app comes out then we we can buy the app Um, but the other piece is that that maybe is is what is is doable or practical 
is observe your body's reaction to mm-hmm. what you're eating, how you're sleeping, your how exercise you patterns. Yeah. Are you are you you know maintaining proper weight? Uh, how are your energy levels? How is because all of these things have mm-hmm. kind of reverse causality. How is your sleep patterns? You know um, that that glass of wine at night is it you know is it affecting your sleep or yeah. it, do you sleep better without that? Um, if you eat late, earlier, or all those things. So, yep. and um, you you can you know those um, you know that except for the very few that continuous glucose monitor is not practical for for the Most, vast majority of people. Right. Um, but you can buy uh, a glucose testing blood sugar testing right. kit, yep. really inexpensively, um, and, and the strips are inexpensive and and um, test yourself post meal. Right, check your hour and two hour post meal glucose levels and the recommended numbers are are out there you can get yourself an actual like 50 gram load of glucose and figure out what that is and and do your own one hour yeah i've got to do that because there are there are very clear thresholds that you should be at like one hour two hour and three hours post Mm -hmm. what do they call that a um Glucose tolerance uh, test. T- exactly, but you gotta you gotta intake the, a bunch of the correct amount, glucose. and yeah. yeah. So there's definitely ways if you're motivated to get a little bit more information about how your body processes stuff. And this is how we screen and check, and you know, for for diabetes in people, anyways. So there are options. Exactly. Well. This was awesome. We should do it more often. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to. Maybe. Actually, we're going to be in Maine in, in another month or so, so maybe we'll, we'll try to, even though that, that could be challenging. Yeah. Hope the listeners uh, enjoyed it, and uh, we're going to go off and have a great day. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks again for listening. You can visit thedoctorandad.com. That's spelled T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.